0: it, was it you who told me that today is National Barbecue Day?
1: National Barbecue Day. Why is today the day we didn't smoke the pork butt?
0: Because <laughs> it would have taken all day like it did. Yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Um, was it Saturday that we did it? or Sunday. Sunday. Sunday
1: yeah. It took us 14 hours to smoke a pork butt for yeah. anybody who's listening. It took way too long. We were very Yeah, hungry. we had issues.
0: But, but that's, you know... Interesting that it'd be that day. Normally, we would talk a lot about that, but um, we have a guest today. Um, We have Phyllis Levitt. Uh, She's a psychotherapist of over 30 years. She's really excited to share with everyone her new book called America and Therapy, in which she discusses in detail the urgent need to apply nationally all we have learned in the field of psychology about how to heal our most destructive and divisive human relations at this critical time in our country so welcome phyllis
2: well thank you so much for having me it's just uh, you know real pleasure to be here talking with you both
0: yeah we appreciate you being here and taking the time to be here very much so so, so i was wondering you know your book intrigues me um the title especially and you know the br- the brief premise that you give so could you explain maybe in more detail the premise of your book american therapy
2: yeah i mean the basic premise is comes out of my long experience being a psychotherapist and um and particularly trained in family therapy dynamics and my understanding which you know many people have today that you really your best opportunity to understand the individual is to understand the family dynamics in which they were conditioned The things they were taught to believe, the behaviors that were modeled for them, um, the ways people coped with conflict, that kind of thing. And so um, in years of experience have shown me that even when you're working with an individual, you're really looking at the family they came from. If you're going to do any kind of really effective work, Um, we're not islands. We don't just get born messed up. you know. (laughs) We don't. And. Um, and I think family therapy has contributed a lot to that understanding. And it was just a really natural leap for me to see that groups and institutions and our government and our um, our leaders are part of a family of America. And that's how I look at America today, that we're a large family, because you can apply the dynamics of family therapy and, and the understanding of family systems to any grouping of people. And I don't know about you, but um, I've had many clients, for instance, who have come to therapy and talked about their workplace as actually mirroring their family dynamic, and they find themselves in the same role that they were when they grew up. Um, And so I took that lens of family therapy, and and it was a no-brainer for me to just see that our country operates on these same dynamics. And what hurts people in individual families is the same are the same things that hurt people on a national or, or local state level. And that healthy family dynamics produce people who cope well, you know, healthy healthy family dynamics. And again, given that none of us are perfect, nobody does parenting perfectly, nobody does partnering perfectly, but in a relatively, let's just say a relatively healthy family system, people are committed to working it out they're working they're committed to nonviolence to not hitting to not slamming doors to not assaulting one's body or heart or mind um and again we might have lapses of anger but the commitment is to come back to a healthy healing reconnected relationship and so The premise of my book is really to say we and we know a lot in the field of psychotherapy about how to help heal relations that are broken. People come to therapy because they're hurting, because their marriages are failing, because they're having a hard time parenting or their kids are out of control or they're having depression or anxiety or substance abuse issues. People come to therapy because they're in pain. And. With a lot of what's going on in our country today, I think we can see that masses of people are in pain. Masses of people are suffering from poverty or lack of availability of health care or discrimination or police violence or racial discrimination. Um, And so the suffering that I see in our country, and I think many people do, and I think the mass shootings are a really good example of the tip of the iceberg of the pain that's here and the pain that's being caused, the pain that causes that to happen and the pain that it causes, Um, that we know so much in the field of psychotherapy and psychology about how to interrupt the cycle of violence and how to help people. And again, with no perfection, espoused here or even the goal. Um, We know how to help people come back together. We know how to help people listen deeply. We know how to help people regain a feeling of self-respect and self-control so that they are more relational and they can heal some of the most hurting family dynamics. And I want to see that brought to our country. I feel you know like so many people feel the pain of what's going on here for so many people so deeply and feel that we know a lot of what what can be done and i'd love to see it applied on a national level to have that actually be a national agenda that instead of who's going to win how are we all going to come back together and care about each other and i don't think that's a pie in the sky idea I think that we are very bright, we are very smart, we are very creative and with the right motivation we could apply the same um intense resources and technologies um of of the best psychotherapy to heal our country if we want to.
0: <laughs> so we are as we talked about um we recently had a milestone on this show of 500 episodes. Right. And When we first started this show, and for a very long time, we used to say that what we learned from the show, because, you know, our show, we we tend to examine things that go on around us, um, things in life, like one of our funniest episodes. Is, a, is a, was a neighbor who was throwing a trash bag into a trash can and it exploded everywhere. And um, it's been one of our most popular episodes. I think we've um, talked but, about
1: the dynamics of the people of Costco at least 12
0: times. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like we've always said, we've always made the statement. And I've kind of changed my mind on this statement currently, but we made used to make this statement that, you know, people are stupid and it's not that people are stupid. I personally think people can be, people can be annoying. And what do I mean by that? Well, like, a question for you why does it feel like people are shown very clear facts black and white this mm-hmm. is how it is and they deny that that's the truth yeah what makes what what about the family dynamic let's say that they grew up in causes that type of behavior
2: well one of the focuses of my book so there's sort of two main focuses of my book one is to look at that family dynamic that you're talking about And the other is to talk about what we do know in the field of psychology that helps break the cycle, and promotes healing and reconnection and safety and peace between people.
0: So, which I would think I would think that part would be the most important.
2: Yeah, and it is
0: breaking the cycle.
2: Right, breaking the cycle. That's what. That's the whole purpose of the book. Like, that's what I think we all want to see happen. Um, So, but the first part of the book is devoted. In quite a lot of detail to what your question is really about. And so how I would say that is the first part of my book really examines closely what I've learned as a therapist, and I know that I'm not alone in this, um, what the dynamics of an abusive family or a dysfunctional family are. because one of the factors, and there's several, and I really try to outline them and I give examples from client stories, you know, really try to make my book, something that anyone can read and understand it's not a psychological journal it's not an academic book it's really for the layman it's for all of us because that's awesome. what we want i want the the understanding to be available to the man on the street who has no psychological experience um, so one of the dynamics in an abusive or dysfunctional family is denial This isn't really happening or it isn't that bad, or you're not allowed to talk about it because worse things will happen to you if you tell people. Um, and so there's a, there's a a very clear power dynamic out of balance power dynamic in a dysfunctional or abusive family where those in charge get to call the shots and they get to say what you can talk about or what you can even cry about. Um, And it comes in and it goes very deeply to this didn't even happen. And, and, you know, I've seen this over the years where um, people come to therapy for suffering from overt abuse in their childhood or in their relationships. But we'll talk about childhood here because that's the big conditioning, primary conditioning agent. Um, And to this day it's denied in their families that it ever happened. So um part of it is actually learning that you're not allowed to know the truth you're not allowed to trust your own instincts you have to listen to the people in charge or something bad is really going to happen to you so that's one piece of it you know that's that's one small slice yeah. of the pie but
0: that makes that actually makes sense um because uh when i think about that if you're if you're just continually taught that what you saw in front of your own two eyes you know, we're not allowed to talk about that. It didn't happen. Pretend it never happened. That kind of thing. Um, eventually you'll accept that in almost any arena in life, right. um, work, whatever. And, um, you don't live in a state of reality at that point.
2: It's exactly sort of sad. Right.
0: That's exactly
2: um, right. And we am um, like rampant in um, our country.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I, I see it. I see it on social media all the time. I was actually just telling Toria today that, um, you know my last name is Mahoney and someone on social media called me Michael Baloney and I just laughed and I said back to them congratulations like you just reminded me of a kindergarten insult you know and I'm 58 <laughs> years old <laughs> but good for you you know you make you I, I go and th- I don't think it has the intended effect it actually made me laugh you know Um. but back to back to the topic here so you you mentioned elements plural like Elements to healing. Um, yeah. What are those?
2: Yeah. Well, for one thing, and you know, it's some of them, it, I, I call this, you know, the answers lying hidden in plain sight, because there's nothing esoteric about what I'm going to say or what we've learned in the field of psychology. Um, it's more that there's a reason why people don't want to apply it because it doesn't feed the dysfunctional dynamics that some people gain from. Um, but so one of the things is let's just start like at the beginning, uh, when people let's just talk about a couple, because, you know, we're talking about discourse. We're talking about people trying to work it out with each other, because that's what my hope is for our country, that we will, we, that we will come to our senses and sit down and really try to work our differences out instead of targeting certain populations and blaming them for our problems. But often when a couple comes to therapy, that's exactly where they're at. They're blaming each other for whatever has gone wrong. And so that's kind of the starting point. That's kind of human nature. That's a way most of us grew up, actually, was to blame somebody else and focus on what we want other people to do rather than focus on our own own part in the play. But one of the essentials is it has to be safe. So when a couple comes to therapy, you you know, nobody comes in holding a gun to the other person's head or even threatening to hit them or, you know, do some harm to them, you know, take them to the cleaners or whatever, because that destroys the safety that you need to actually work out human relations.
1: Who would share if that was the case?
2: <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah. And so one of the basic elements of the best psychotherapy and any kind of even mediation, you know, any kind of healing um, practice is safety and safety happens on a lot of levels. So, So one, of course, is that you don't threaten and you don't bring guns and you, you know, that's, that's first, but if we were, I'm going to jump out real quick and then jump back. So what does that mean for our country? You know, what does that mean? We're holding guns to each other's heads and expecting to work out our problems.
1: (laughs) and The more we do it, the more divided the nation
2: becomes. Right, and the more violence we see, the more violence we see. So that's one principle. Another principle of what really makes it safe. And this is is something you, you really have to learn over years of being a therapist. And there are also people out in the world who aren't therapists who do this really, really well. Um, so you don't have to be a psychotherapist to do any of the things that I'm saying, but one of them is that you create an environment of non-judgment. So it's not like somebody sits there and they say, you know, my father beat me and he told me that I was really stupid. And like, you just listen deeply. You don't judge. You just listen because the next thing the person might be going to say is, you know, and I hit my kids and I wish I didn't. So you have to make it safe for them to talk about any of us. It's not them. It's us. It's you and me and, you know, everybody, because we all have places in our lives where I'm sure we wish we could do it differently because our conditioning taught us to be judgmental or closed or, you know, unkind or ungenerous or whatever. Um, but so you make it safe by creating an atmosphere of non-judgment, and then you help the people that you're working with do that for each other. You, we teach people um, non-violent communication skills. Non, um, there's a there's one model that I learned early on, and there's many models. But this one was called relationship enhancement therapy, and it was really good with teaching people to just reflect back what they hear the other person say rather than jump in and counter it right away. Because that's pretty much our human nature. And that's pretty much what we've been taught is like, well, I don't agree with that. And I'll tell you why. And you better, you know, agree with me because I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm right and you're wrong is pretty much the foundation of what doesn't work.
1: <laughs> Everybody always puts <laughs> their walls up as soon as you go there. And then nobody's it's going to talk about anything.
2: Entirely right. And yeah. so in therapy, we really help people Slow down, take it apart. One of the things that, one of the beautiful things that I learned in terms of working with couples, and I forget now where I learned it, but starting the session by saying something like, okay, I want you to imagine a bridge that goes between the two of you. And when you're the listener, it's your job to cross over the bridge and really try to enter the other person's world and their reality and when it's you, your turn to talk your partner's job is to cross over the bridge and try to enter your reality because because one of the fundamentals that i think we're so missing and it has such terrible effects on a national level is we all want to be heard everyone wants to be heard but we haven't learned how to listen to other people the way we want to be heard we just want to be heard And so that's one of the fundamental ways of making it safe. Actually, the therapist listens to you the best they can, the way you want to be heard. And we help people listen to each other the way they want to be heard and find something. You know, most people, unless they're really, really disturbed, unless they're really, really out of control, most people have something valid to say in whatever the argument or the disagreement or the disruption is. And we help people try to find that. And what if we had people in Congress, you know, mediators or facilitators, actually facilitating that kind of conversation between opposing parties, real teaching people respect and how to listen to each other and make it safe, because that's how something would actually get worked out.
0: Yeah, that was the I, only I, way. <laughs> yeah, I learned a while back, um, probably a decade ago now that uh, words like always or never
1: um,
0: are bad words to use Mm -hmm. in a disagreement because what happens is you use those words and then you're responsible for that other person now, no longer listening to what you're saying. Instead, if you say, look, you always do X. They're thinking, well, I'm going to find a time when I didn't do X, and I'm going to bring that up right now. Let me tell you about these six times. And if you say you never never do the dishes, then the next thing they're thinking is, yes, I did. I did the dishes on Saturday night. And that's what they're going to come back with. They're not going to pay any more attention to anything you say. And so I think it also is the responsibility of the speaker to make sure that, and I think you addressed this when you said communicate in a way that the other person is comfortable with. You you need, you need to make sure you don't use because always and never are trigger words for me, but there could be other trigger words for people that you just have to know and pay attention to. And especially in a close, like, you know, marital type relationship, um, you get to know that person and you know what to say and what not to say. So I think that's a, a thing that if we were to do that in society as a whole, um, all too often, people in society will assign a belief to you and then argue right. against that belief. But you're like, I don't understand. I didn't believe that. And then the other thing they'll do is assume things about you based off the fact that you disagree with them. I mean, like a good one is, which do you like better, apples or oranges? Oh, I like apples. So you hate oranges? I did. It could be 99% apples, 98.9% yeah. oranges. You know, we could be right there. They want to argue with you, so I think that's a the listening, right? When you're supposed to, and not, and you know, and not speaking, and then speaking appropriately when you're supposed to. I think that's a really big tip.
2: Yeah, and I think you actually touched on an even bigger issue, and I totally agree with you everything you said. But what you touched on is the big issue is is being responsible for yourself. Most people come to therapy wanting to hold the other person responsible. And while they probably do have some responsibility if they were raging or, you know, locking themselves out of the house or whatever, um, what we have found over years, and you've probably found this in your own relationship, when does it work best? When you take responsibility for your own behavior, for the things that you've said, Um, maybe it requires making amends. Maybe it's like, I'm sorry, you know, I was really irritable that day and I snapped at you and I'm sorry. Um, and that's, and those are the couples, for instance, that do the best, the couples that do the best are not the finger pointers. The couples that do the best are the people who actually take responsibility for their own behavior. And a really good uh, metaphor for that is if you're dancing with a partner, if you change your step, they have to change theirs. They may leave you and that may be the outcome. That may be how they
1: change the steps.
2: That may be how they change the step, but in if there's enough of a bond and enough of a commitment to actually come back together and have a better relationship, then the other person will change their step too. And you've probably seen that. I mean, we've all seen that in our marriages, right? You know, you soften, you take responsibility for something, and your partner's right there because that's what we all want.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say that because like this is my second marriage and um my fr- in my first marriage um it, it was more of a competition who's going to be right yeah for both of us not just me not just her both of us right um and for some reason with toria um it's always been i worry about my behavior and she worries about hers because we both came to a conclusion somewhere along life that When you worry about what the other person's doing, and don't look at what you're doing. It causes resentment in the other person because they see your mistakes, but they're not calling you out on them because they're worrying about their behavior. And so that's what that's one of the things that makes us really successful. Yeah. And like knowing when to like if it even okay example, I could be feel like I'm 100 percent right about a situation, but that doesn't mean I handled it 100 percent right. And so if I handle something incorrectly or in a way that, you know, may have offended her, um, I make amends for that. Even, even you know, it could be as simple as one plus one is two. And she says, no, it's three. Well, I know it's two. But if I raised my voice, yeah. I need to apologize for that. And I think that shows the other person, you respect them as a human being.
2: You are so right on. I mean, you really are so right on. And those are exactly the kinds of, understandings and commitments and behaviors that we need on a national level to actually save ourselves. I mean, I think our country is in crisis. There are so many hurting people. The poverty level for children has gone up. There's so much racial divide. People don't feel safe sending their kids to elementary school. How can you? You know, and so everything that you're saying You know, my commitment, my hope, my prayer is that we take these things that we're learning through the really the hard work of relationship, right, in your own life, and apply them on a national level because they're available to be used and they work, even if they're not perfect, because, you know, they're not perfect. But you come back and you say, I'm sorry, you take responsibility. And what if we had, you know, that as a commitment on a local, on a state, on a National on a government level, we would have we would begin to have a different country.
1: I think half <laughs> the population would drop dead from a heart attack if a single leader of the country apologized for and took responsibility
2: for something. I, I know we'd and be shocked. She, <laughs> what a role yet, model for our children, right? What a role model exactly, for children, but
0: yet, like, I we have a friend and um, she's maybe 10 years older than me. and we've constantly had this conversation where I say, you know, I don't understand. Like it seems like it's been in about the last 15 or so years where we've tipped off this cliff. Um, And then she would say, no, it's always been like this. I don't remember that. Like I remember there being channel two, channel four, channel seven on the TV. And when you'd watch them, and the news would come on at 5 PM every night and whatever story was going on in the world, You could watch whatever channel you wanted. You got the same story about what happened. You didn't get this really weird spin about it. I mean, like today you go to the conservative website, you hear the same story, but it's spun so that the liberal is the problem. And you go to the liberal website and they spin it that the conservative is the problem. And neither of them actually addresses the actual issue, which, you know,
1: where everybody's the problem.
0: But she insists (laughs) it's always been this way. And your, your commentary tells me that that's not true because I mean, if it's like a mental illness type of thing, it is, it's grown, it's grown and gotten worse and gotten worse and gotten worse because we've not treated the issue at all. Exactly. And, and it's, I mean, a big problem is like, I crack up about the news media, you know, that the, the, the people will say, oh look at what look at what fox news said oh my god but then look at what cnn said and then someone will point out the problems with what cnn said and try to defend what fox said and it's like my gosh guys can't you both see that like there's actually a true story in there right. and neither one of those two is telling it to you yeah. i mean and you have to but we used to get that and we don't get that anymore and what you're saying makes sense because it would be like it's like a cancer right it, it starts out and then it just grows and gets worse and worse and worse and i think that's i think you're right i think it's going to take a really principled leader to do that um, but what i get scared of and i mean not to get political but like i thought obama was going to be that guy that was yeah. going to step up and instead i think he actually made the divide worse so i mean and that's with 2020 hindsight that's not even what i was thinking at the time yeah. it's looking back at it now what the cause of things were and i, I just think that I would actually challenge it to go even further like you said local, state, um, country, how about whole world, you know, globally because absolutely. because we're a mess.
2: No, absolutely. And actually everything I say really is globally global of in its import. I only talk about America because this is the country I live in and I'm speaking to to America, but it really is a global conversation and and what's happening in America is happening all over the world. So absolutely, um, we need to come together as a globe. Actually, if I think if we're going to survive, I think if the human race is going to make it um, just like, you know, an abuser or a, a violent, out of control person in a family has the power to to murder someone or, you know, seriously, seriously harm them, but sometimes murder them. And as countries with our nuclear weapons and the way we use chemical additives, we have the power to destroy and we already are so much life on this planet. Um, So yeah, I think we're standing on a ledge. And you know, what I often say is what brings people to therapy is pain. Something is really not working and is causing so much pain in their life that they're willing to ask for help, even if they don't want to. Um, And my hope is that we can feel our pain enough not to torture ourselves, but to actually ask for a different kind of help for our country because what we're doing isn't working we're just doing more of the same that's not working
0: yeah and at what point at what point are we at the point of no return as well that that kind of worries
2: me. that's the scary part and that's actually (laughs) part of the motivation for my book is like Come on, folks, let's do it now. But I, I do want to highlight, um, before we're done, I want to highlight something that you said, because that what you said is that this is kind of like a mental illness. And that actually is one of the foundations of my book, that we're suffering from mass mental illness. Mentally healthy people don't starve others. They don't bomb people. They don't kill children in their apartment buildings you know, with bombs. Mentally healthy people don't do these things. Mentally healthy people don't hate somebody because of the color of their skin or religious garb they're wearing. So these are signs of mass mental illness that we're actually being conditioned to believe are political ideological issues, but they're not. Politics has co-opted, you know, some very mentally ill behaviors and points of view and references toward people, projections onto people. Does that make sense to you guys?
1: Sure sure. I I like to tell people all the time that I think that mental illness overall is the biggest problem facing this country now. And you you see anything in the news at all, and you you can tie it back. (laughs)
2: That's right. That's right.
1: That's really right. So where can our listeners find you to learn a little bit more about you?
2: Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) I am um, I have a website. It's www.phyllislevitt.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and YouTube. Um, I just started a TikTok channel, but there's probably not much on there yet. Um, and Twitter. I think those are the main ones that I'm on. And um, my my book is not in print yet, but it will be. And it's called America in Therapy. And please look out for it. And anyone who's interested in knowing exactly when it comes out, please go onto my website and leave your email address in the little caption there. And you can get my newsletters and any news about you know when the book will actually be out. Awesome.
0: Well, the, we'll make sure those things get into the show notes right. so that people don't have to quickly scribble it all down right. um, and um, we'll know that they're correct. So, But thank you so much for for being on. Um, it was a great conversation, really enlightening.
2: Thank you so much. You're a great podcast host and it was really wonderful to be able to have this opportunity to share with you. Thank you again.
1: Well, I second that. It's been, it's been awesome having you here and good night, everyone.